and welcome to Looking the Other Way, the everything disability podcast where we discuss the humanity of disability in a way that is relatable and accessible. We'll be diving into hard topics that are often left out of mainstream conversations. Join us as we flip the script on what it means to be disabled and start looking the other way. Alrighty, hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Looking the Other Way. I'm one of your hosts, Em. And I'm Erin. And I'm Mattia. And uh, we wanted to start a podcast to bring a little bit more awareness to disabilities in general. Um, it's, I found that the media doesn't always do a good job of representing disabilities. Um, there's, there's a long history of people not being accepting of people with disabilities and I mean, even today, um, there's so much more that people could know. And so we want to answer some of those tough questions. Uh, and so for starters, I'll explain um, the title of our podcast, Looking the Other Way. We decided to pick that because of that long history of people um, just really disregarding people with disabilities. And I mean, going way back in history, there's really terrible things that people were doing. And so we want to start looking the other way and bring awareness to it. And so that's what our podcast is all about. And so for starters, um, why don't we, Aaron, do you want to kick off how we know each other? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, first things first, uh, M and I are brother and sister. Yes. So that's how we met. <laughs> um, yeah. That was from the beginning of my life because I'm younger. Yes. I'm uh, a little bit older. So uh, yeah. And then uh, Mattia was our neighbor growing up um, and we grew up out in the country. So uh, when I say neighbor, I mean neighbor of many miles away, but still... <laughs> one of on our the closest same bus. people same bus yeah and uh that's how we first met was we were uh, on our long bus ride together because i mean it was probably i don't know like an hour yeah an hour it I was, don't know. It was yeah. long uh, i've blurted out apparently uh, from my <laughs> memory but um but yeah we would talk on the bus uh for lots of time and that's how i remember meeting you <laughs> yes yep and uh em and i were actually in the same grade and she was humming uh smash mouth or all star by smash mouth yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh so i was like oh yeah that's my favorite song <laughs> and she said me too and i was like oh my goodness you could talk <laughs> and yes. so then we talked the whole bus ride and for the rest of our lives yeah <laughs> until this very moment until continue right talking <laughs> yes and so Matia says um she was surprised that I could talk um and this is I'll talk about this a little bit more later but um something that I've been diagnosed with for a long time is anxiety and so growing up I was extremely shy uh, and really really did not speak very much until I got a little bit older and so Matia was quite alarmed when a few words came out of my mouth when we were <laughs> nine or ten or whatever yeah. it would have been yeah yep. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, for this very first episode, um, we're going to give you some background on our uh, uh, professional um, experience in the field and then um, our personal experiences as well with disabilities um, and what we're diagnosed with and just kind of why we why we want to do this and bring more awareness to yeah the world of disabilities. What's our excitement behind all of that? And um, uh, in future episodes, what we'll be doing is kind of breaking it down per disability. And so our next episode is going to be, we're going to focus in on anxiety only. Um, And each episode after that, we're going to have one disability that we talk about. Um, And uh, we might do some open topic Hmm. um, episodes as well. And so kind of just, we'll find some interesting topic that relates to disability and... Have a free form conversation. Exactly. (laughs) 
Yes. And so why don't we go ahead and start with professional backgrounds? If, Mattia, you want to talk about your experience in the field? Yeah. Give us your resume. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah. So when I was 14, um, I had a friend recommend a summer camp um, to go out and participate in for the summer. And it was really fun. Um, And I think I got M to follow me out there. But it was a camp for disabilities. um, And you joined, I think, week two possibly the third weekend yeah, you were you worked two weeks without me and i think you called me every other night and you were like i'm having so much fun yeah. and i was like like who wants to have a job when they're 14 years yeah. old i was not super excited about it at first but then with you being gone i didn't have anything else better to do anyway so yeah by the third week you got me out there yep. and yep. i remember uh that summer there were i think it, there were two additional weeks where you and matia were both gone so i was all sad and alone uh, yeah and so yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you followed suit yeah the, next, the following yeah, the year. Next year but yeah so i did that summer camp um a bit off and on actually for nine years total um i was an assistant counselor um a counselor a kitchen staff i did night watch and i think i helped with program one year as well you did yeah um mm-hmm. but yeah all in all i i pretty much did all the different positions <laughs> and i was very um very much a part of it i still like to go out and visit sometimes when I can make make time for it um but yeah I've worked as a uh, caregiver as well at a rest home uh, when I lived in New Zealand and then um for four years I was a uh, job coach I was um for supported employment um which uh, Em and Aaron can kind of touch a little more on as they also do that um but yeah so I ended up moving into insurance um about a year and a half ago and the reason that I wanted to start this podcast was because I want to you know remain in the field of disabilities I really enjoy the community and I really just I'm very passionate about um, this subject and I just yeah I I thought it'd be a good way to remain engaged and you know yeah I think it's good to note too that this was your idea to get this all started and so we're very appreciative that you brought it up and suggested it because I think it's going to be really wonderful. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But what about you, Erin? Yeah. um, So uh, to start with, uh, as previously mentioned, uh, we all worked at the same summer camp. Um, I, yeah, after my year of being alone and sad, I then the next year and worked there for nine years and uh, I didn't cover quite as many positions as Mattia did, (laughs) but um. You know, I went through, you know, being a counselor and a lead counselor and then the assistant camp director my last few years out there. And um, and that was kind of my introduction, to, you know, working with uh, the population of people with disabilities. Um, you know, one thing actually before the camp, really, my only experience interacting with people with disabilities was uh, um, M and I being brother mm-hmm. and sister. We have a cousin with a disability. So. And, um, you know, they don't live super, super close, though. So, I mean, we see them times a year. And, um, you know, just one other little thing I would add into is that uh, the school that we went to did not have integrated um, education for the students with disabilities. So, you know, the students that were at our school were kind of off in a far room and kind of separate from everyone else. In their so, own classroom. They didn't even eat lunch with us in the lunch room. I mean, it yeah, was it was extremely segregated. Very segregated. So uh, for me, when I started at the camp, that was really kind of my first introduction to anyone with a disability that I love. And I mean, we're going to talk more about how that's not actually true because yes. a lot of hidden and visible disabilities. But mm-hmm. 
you know, that was kind of my first exposure to the world of disability. And, um, you know, and again, I, I just kind of fell into it on accident um, with, you know, uh, M and then Mattia before that, and then other friends of ours before that having worked at this camp. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I loved it. I, you know, I mean, it's hard not to love camp for a lot of reasons, but. I, yeah, know. if anyone else has worked at any other type, I know a lot of people have attended summer camps or gone to summer camps, and you probably have the same kind of uh like really wonderful uh, sometimes emotional yeah nostalgic yeah. memories behind <laughs> it you just build amazing memories with great friends mm -hmm. you do all kinds of fun activities and so this is this was no different than that except that the campers that were coming out had disabilities yeah and um you know very quickly i learned to love the population that we worked with mm -hmm. and um so uh, moving forward, um, you know, the, the camp was just during the summers. So as I got a bit older, I worked some jobs kind of on the side. And um, one of the, uh, I guess I kind of have two, but one of the primary ones related to disability was I uh, was a caregiver for six months at um, an assisted living agency. And, um, and again, it was only six months. And uh, that was, I loved it, but it was really difficult. Um, and we were, we're going to dive in more on this topic later too. But uh, the system is not always the best. <laughs> and, you know, it was just a very challenging work environment. Um, There's and, not enough funding. I mean, that's yeah. probably one of the big things. And so you don't have a lot of staff retention. Yeah. You've got people coming and going all the time. And so it, it makes it really difficult to have a good training program. Yeah. And I will say, and just to be clear, when I say that it's challenging, um, I'm not referring to the people <laughs> that um, I was supporting. I'm referring to the lack of I'm referring to the lack of people being hired because there's not enough funding. Being short-staffed. I'm sure maybe people always have heard that term, always short-staffed. By the time that I left working this place after six months, I was the longest-term employee at the house I worked at. So, you know, that just goes to show. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, a few years later, uh, so another experience that I had um, that is, has kind of shaped how I see things. Um, I was a political science major at school. So I interned for uh, two uh, representatives at the state capitol in Olympia. Uh, we live in Washington, if we didn't mention that. <laughs> um, so Olympia, Washington. And, um, and yeah, and I, uh, you know, letting them know that I had experience with people with disabilities, I got to go to, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but they had a legislative reception is what they called it uh, for people with disabilities. So um so i uh you know got to see a bunch of um you know people with disabilities coming to olympia to advocate for themselves and you know talking with legislators which at the time i mean i was still young enough that legislators really intimidated me and it was like these like powerful people and you know a lot of people who reminded me of people from the camp that i worked at were just coming out and, you know hey here's my experience here's my life and here's what we need and here's what we want and um, so uh, jumping forward, uh, after finishing at the camp, um, I started working at uh, the supported employment agency that Mattia had mentioned as well. And, um, you know, making that leap. I mean, it's hard to leave camp because camp is so much fun. <laughs> but, um, However, there does come a point as an adult where you can't keep working just a summer job, unfortunately. <laughs> not super sustainable financially, unfortunately. Oh. So um, I, I made the leap to the supported employment agency. And, and you know, before jumping into that work I was really like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna you know I'm humming and hawing and um and after I started I loved it <laughs> again for all the same reasons mm -hmm. that I loved the camp or mo most I loved the camp, I guess uh you know working with that same population uh, a lot of the same people actually um and 
just no sandcastles or yeah, water no, park no. days. <laughs> Less <laughs> of that and more doing work <laughs> out in the community. But, you know, again, same population. Um, you know, I, I just I love people with disabilities, you know, helping to make people's lives better. Um, and reach their people, goals, too. Reach their goals. And um, after being there for uh, a couple years, uh, because of my experience with uh, working with the state legislature, uh, my boss agreed to have me get involved with some of the legislative work that that agency does um, in terms of advocating for people with disabilities and Olympia and, uh, you know, getting to go to, they have uh, advocacy days every year uh, where people all over the state come to the Capitol to advocate and have a big rally and make some noise and, mm-hmm. you know, make it known that people with disabilities are here and exist and are important. And um and uh, I was very lucky to have Matia join me for one of those two uh, yep. one year and that was really fun mm-hmm. so um yeah so that's kind of my um my experience I guess and in terms of just like my reason for wanting to do this podcast um you know for all the reasons I stated already um I you know I don't know I have seen many different sides of the system um in terms of services and institutions that exist in our society around disability. And I have seen a lot of the issues that there are. I've seen some good things too. There's <laughs> some, some mm-hmm. things that go well, but there's a lot of things that need a lot of help and a lot of support and a lot of change. Um, some things may need to be completely, you know, yeah. you know destroyed and rebuilt. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. And, um, you know, I, you know, I'm a very political person. I was a political science major and, you know, I, you know, I want to see things change. And it's not just that I, you know, want to be like a policymaker who, you know, drafts laws, but, you know, at a very deep level, I really care about the people that I have worked with over the years. And, you know, I want better for people. So that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's kind of my spiel. So um, if you want to go now, Emma, yes. about your experience, well, I'm sorry, a lot of overlap, I'm sure. Bring up the summer camp for a third time. So <laughs> I also, like Mattia and Aaron mentioned, started out at the summer camp. So, uh, yes, what Mattia was saying earlier, she worked out there for two weeks. And uh, I really was calling me, I think, like every other night and was like, it's the best thing I've ever done. We're both like 14 years old. And she's like, you got to get out here. And uh, all I could hear was the word job. And I was like, I am not working across my summer. I go to school all year long. (laughs) I am a student and this is my time. But with Matia being gone for those two weeks, I mean, really, and her being our neighbor, like, we used to go bike riding all the time and just were out and about. And so... We were with, really close. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with, we still are. Well, yeah, clearly. <laughs> with her not being around... Yeah, yeah, yeah. With her not being around, um, the summer just, uh, yeah, got very dull. <laughs> and so uh, she finally convinced me to come out for that third week. And so my first year out there, I only worked there for a couple of weeks. Um, before the summer camp season was already over but yeah same thing fell in love with it instantly it is just it's like nothing I've ever experienced before it was the most welcoming environment I've ever been in I still I think of it as my second home even today and we still we go back and we volunteer every summer I think I will do that for the rest of my life I just I love it um but uh, like everyone else was saying you hit an age and you can't just work summers anymore <laughs> um yeah my um I was out there for 10 seasons um I started out as a counselor for a little bit but I moved into the program um doing activities which was amazingly fun I got to create the schedule for everyone for the entire summer so like whatever activities we were going to do if we were going to go to the beach 
if we were going to have like performers come out doing talent shows, just whatever we're going to do for the day. And that like, that is exactly how my brain works, like creating like fun things for people and guiding, guiding services. I mean, that translates into, into what I'm doing for um, a job today. Yeah. So after, um, after leaving the summer camp, um, I did a little bit of um, caregiving as needed. I worked with um, a family um, who had some individuals um, with disabilities living in their household and I would just do some caregiving um, anytime they were like out of town or had events. Really enjoyed that. But again, I was looking for a full-time, a full-time job as I got a little bit older and got out of school. Um, I went to school for psychology and so my I'm really um, interested in like the like the brain and the science side of all of this and like how these things come to be and like genetics and all that numbers and math and everything <laughs> some people are not very excited about I know <laughs> we won't have an episode about math we I absolutely <laughs> will never have an episode I, about statistics I would never be a part of it although so. I love it very much I do love statistics I we'll don't. just give you the numbers but not explain where they came from <laughs> we may <laughs> occasionally we talk about about some data but we're going to talk about it in a very fun kind fun. of way <laughs> fun. Fun data. <laughs> but yes uh, yeah so after moving away from that i um i ended up uh, moving into supported employment and so um you've heard matia and aaron use that term a couple times now so supported employment is helping people with disabilities to find work um and that can look like anything under the sun um it just it depends on what the person's goals are and what they want to be doing and so some people maybe want to go find a job 40 hours a week it could be the exact same job that i'm working um some people maybe can only work or only want to work like 15 to 30 minutes a week it's it's it it, in everything in between absolutely everything in between and then um from there you you can go out and support people at these jobs with whatever it is that they need help with and so I've been doing that. It's actually coming up on like six years now, which is crazy. It's crazy how time <laughs> flies. <laughs> um, but I, same thing. I absolutely love it. I love being able to work with, I know, Aaron's I'm, counting on his hands. Has it really been six was, years? I told someone it was five just a couple days ago. <laughs> We're coming up on six. Yeah. Aaron and I both started um, doing the same work around the same time. So For what it's worth, we're recording this episode um, in the second year of the uh, COVID pandemic, so that's part of where my not knowing Lost what year time. it is is coming from. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so um, I I envision that I'll be doing this for the rest of forever. I think this is where I want to land. Um, I really enjoy um, the whole process of sitting down with somebody and helping them figure out, like maybe they've never even had a job, they're just out of school, and they, they don't quite know what they want to do yet, and so we're like problem solving and we get to try things out. And then we we support them into like trying different types of eventually, and then eventually work into where they get the job that they do really enjoy. Maybe they do that for a few years and we kind of we work on some like uh, skills at work and like bettering that. And then, then they want to move on to something else. And so seeing the whole process of just moving through their goals, like career goals, so fun. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to see. And so. Yeah, I think I'd say, yeah, my, so my overall purpose in doing this, um, shortly after um, the summer camp experience, those first two weeks, I went home and I, I just like on the internet looking things up, I was just like, this is fascinating. Just absolutely fascinated about, by everything in the, like having to do with disability. And I just like, I was watching videos and learning as much as I could. And I really, I spent so much of my free time like studying the world of disability um, and I, I really, I thought of it as my hobby for a very long time, so much so um, when I went to college the first time around, I didn't go into psychology because I was just like, that's my hobby. Like, I, 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 
there's no such thing as going into work for that. I don't know why I could not make the connection, but I was like, this is my fun thing. And I have to be serious to go get a job like as an accountant or something. I don't I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> always accounting is. Like it's always accounting. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I think I actually really would have liked accounting. Like yeah, I was saying totally. with statistics and numbers earlier, probably would have been fine. Wouldn't have liked it as much as I like this. But I finally, I actually went back to school um, a little bit later um, in my late 20s. Um, to get my degree in psychology um, after I was already working at the job that I'm at now. I'm really glad that I did because it kind of like it helps to tie a lot of things together and like I'm able to like make some connections to my degree and I think I got a lot more out of it being older for anyone that is like thinking of going back to school later in life. Highly recommend it if you're able to do it. I know it's really tricky and financial aid is a wonderful thing um, if you're able to utilize it. Um, but yeah, so as far as my, um, my purpose, um, I finally, I just kind of realized like this has been my whole everything forever. And it's not just a hobby. It's like, it, it's something I'm extremely passionate about. And so there, and there's always more that we can be doing. And so I finally, like I made the connection that it's not just a hobby. It can also be like what I go to school for. It can be what I do for work, but now what? what else can I do? And so I think this is a really great way for all of us to like share a little bit of knowledge and just like answer some questions and talk more about it. And so I'm very excited about being able to do that <laughs> and share more um, with everyone out in the world that might be listening. So yeah, so that's kind of our professional backgrounds, if you will. Um, we also though, um, so all three of us have um, different personal experiences with uh, disabilities. And so Mattia, do you want to kick us off with your personal experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, my first and foremost diagnosis, um, I have been diagnosed with depression for many years. Um, and I, uh, for a little while there, was on um, citalopram medication. Um, I actually am no longer on that. Um, just kind of, you know, trying to do a lot of self-care and like maintain healthy habits to keep myself in a good place. Um, but um, as we had mentioned earlier, um, invisible or hidden disabilities, uh, not a lot of people really give, um, give regard to uh, mental health. That's, um, I think over COVID, um, over the pandemic, there's been a lot more uh, resources made available for people um, with mental health issues. Um, but it, it still there could be so much more that could be done for that um but and i think too um i think a lot of people when when you hear like a person with a disability i think a lot of people automatically just think like somebody who uses a wheelchair or mm -hmm. someone who is autistic or someone with down syndrome and and if you're if you're like hearing this for the first time and like not like maybe putting the pieces together when we say a person with a disability we're also referring to mental health it's anything that might keep you from being able to complete like uh, daily activities or like it, it prevents you from being able to live a normal life. And so there are certain things like taking medications or like needing therapy or something like that that help you to get through these things. And so, yeah, so that's where Mattia, yeah, Mattia's referencing Absolutely. disability. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that you meet in your daily life and you wouldn't even realize that they might have, you know, these things going on in the background. Um, but yeah, definitely. Um, I would say depression probably impacts yeah my daily life. Um, but there are obviously better days. Um, I definitely do better in the summertime. I think um, part of it is definitely just seasonal depression. Um, but other things 
factors definitely like eating healthier for me um, and working out does typically help me um, pretty significantly. Um, but yeah, I, I have considered going back on citalopram. That was kind of helpful for me uh, the last time around. So I'm kind of talking with my doctor about that. Um, and then I'm also looking for a therapist, which I think everyone could benefit from a therapist. It's mm. a very healthy and happy experience. Um, yeah. I've only been a couple uh, different instances for a short amount of time, but um, yeah, I definitely had a good experience. Um, one I am not formally diagnosed with, um, but Citalopram actually does help um, with this. And I um, have been kind of talking with my doctor. Um, I might have anxiety as well, just kind of a, um, I would say either generalized or social anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, I get quite uh, anxious um, talking to people, which is kind of funny because I'm doing a podcast. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, just get really nervous presenting. Um, so one of the... Um, uh what is it called um when you you like oh exposure therapy yeah that, there oh, we yeah. go <laughs> i had to look at m to remember what i'm trying to say <laughs> exposure therapy yeah. um so i actually try and stream video games um for you know people who watch my stream um just to kind of like get myself to a place where i'm a little bit more comfortable socially um i think i've definitely made leaps and bounds um but still uh very awkward <laughs> just in general with my my social anxiety but um yeah so those are kind of my two mental health uh, related things. Um, I also uh, have kind of overeating habits. Um, this, I think I really correlate with my depression. Um, I think that uh, my emotions really impact how I eat. Um, and I've definitely gotten better with that as well. Um, but definitely I'm overweight and I uh, try to like you know, maintain healthier habits and like get back to a better place, uh, exercise a little bit more. And again, like I said, it ties to the depression. Um, when I was a teenager, um, I had catamenial uh, epilepsy. Yes. <laughs> Did I say that correct? Correct. Yes. <laughs> so sorry. I've been, I've been practicing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, when I was about the time I actually started at the summer camp, mm -hmm. yeah. roughly when this happened. Um, so I would have seizures um, based on my hormone levels being um, a little bit askew. Um, and these were uh, what some people know the old terminology as uh, grand mal seizures, but they it's now clonic tonic seizures. So these are the cliche seizures that, you know, people will collapse and have, you know, full body spasms. They will be unconscious. Um, so I had a, six of those um, kind of growing up. Um, I ended up, uh, we figured out what it was. It took a little bit, um, but I ended up getting put on Dilantin, um, which worked for me, which was really good. Um, and then I eventually grew out of these seizures, which I'm really grateful for. Um, Dilantin's a medication too, yes. just to clarify. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yes, yeah. So that I think the diagnosis didn't come for maybe half a year it was a yeah or a little six longer to eight months maybe it was a while yeah didn't know. yeah and um so it was it, which I, is scary yeah. yeah i only had um so I, I would usually have one seizure every month and so that's kind of how we realized it was hormone based mm -hmm. um but there was one uh before i got the diagnosis um there was one month where i had two seizures um back to back and the second seizure, I actually, like, my mom knew that I was going to have another seizure, um, so she took me to the hospital, 
um, and I ended up having the seizure there and I actually ended up getting like a pretty severe like bump on my head because um, the nurse didn't believe that I was about to go into another seizure and I ended up falling and hitting the ground um, so ended up getting like the whole CT the whole nine yards um, and but- this this is something we'll reference kind of here and there probably um, throughout many of the episodes that we talk about there's um, a lot of people experience this that they are like whatever they've got going on people don't believe them mm-hmm. it's not real or like, anxiety is just like oh like you're just overreacting it's or depression quick quick answer like oh like we'll just be happy or or whatever it may be and something that it reminded me of is when we were in school one of the symptoms of your seizures is your eyes rolling back into your head sometimes yes and teachers used to like pull you aside and tell you like to stop being rude or like stop rolling your eyes in class and she has something she has no control over absolutely yeah no em Mm -hmm. actually convinced a teacher to not write me up Mm -hmm. one time because she thought i was being sassy and i was just i mean i don't even know when i roll my eyes i still do it Um, and when when you when i like when i think of that story too i mean that's like prior to us working at the summer camp like in some ways like we were like learning to advocate for our own selves as little kids Mm -hmm. and like me like having my anxiety and having like the seizure seizure thing like yeah. We've been doing it longer than we think. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, will say, I don't think we were taught how to do that by society or no. the school <laughs> right. at all. Certainly not that. Well, and it, what's kind of scary in that regard, uh, like my mom was advocating for me in the the hospital during the that second seizure. She let the nurse know, like she is about to go into a seizure. We we know what her um, aura or like the you know the presenting things um, physical things that are occurring before the seizure happens we know she's about to have a seizure and the nurse didn't believe her and then I of course did and it, you know it cost them more you know time um making sure I didn't have a head injury after that um because they didn't listen and so it's just scary because that I mean tenfold everybody deals with that in hospitals um not enough staffing or you know just dismissing a lot of things um it's just, yeah, it's kind of scary, which we'll definitely talk about that at least yeah. <clears throat> many more that times. That might be a whole episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, yeah, that's a uh, catamenial uh, epilepsy. Um, and then the last one that I have a diagnosis for is um, base, uh, vasovagal syncope, which we also practiced. <laughs> we it's also not practiced. the Got the ones with the hard names. I know. I'm, I'm, I don't know why they have to give the most ridiculous names and it's that way for medications a lot of times yes. too. why do you have to put all those x's and z's in there x y and z's <laughs> nobody <Yeah>. needs that <laughs> nobody asked for that axle <laughs> <laughs> no thank you but yeah so vasovagal syncope is um uh basically it's it's kind of hard to describe but basically it's a reaction that happens at least for me um like uh, seeing blood or um like just like uh the way the nurse described it for me is like if you're bearing down so if you're like I don't know like really like imagine if you're like grunting and your like face is turning purple like Mm. something really heavy maybe if you do that um there's certain um blood vessels in your legs um that actually dilate and um it causes like your blood pressure to drop and that Mm. usually results in either feeling very lightheaded or passing out Mm. um and so for me um oftentimes um it'll be like bathroom related don't know what happens but i'll use the facilities and then get up and pass out 
And um, actually, the last time this happened for me, um, I had gotten my wisdom tooth removed. And the next morning, I woke up at about 5 a.m., just used bathroom. Um, and I was coming back to bed, and I ended up passing out. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I hit my head on the counter, but yeah, I ended up having mm-hmm. to kind of crawl down the hallway and kind of knock on a roommate roommate's door and they ended up taking me to the hospital and then that's where I actually finally got um, this diagnosis but um, uh, to kind of tie back to catamenial epilepsy um, I feel like uh, they're very similar Um, Mm -hmm. I I always thought I was having a petite mall or um, what's the current Uh, absence absence seizures seizures. yeah and so absence seizures um some you might not even know someone's having them um there's kind of a range of what they can look like but it might just be like someone's eyes fluttering or it looks like they're zoning out but um they they won't be able to respond in the moment um to what's going on it's like their brain's kind of like shutting off for a second um Mm -hmm. or not just a second i should say Uh, again there's a range but it could be for a a, seconds to maybe many minutes yeah Yeah. but they don't uh go unconscious and yeah and there's um there's the no like um none of the like the violent um shaking yeah. that uh, accompanies it yeah yeah so with um vasovagal syncope i um always thought i was having the absent seizures and mm-hmm. um i i think it had just been you know the, that all along yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting that i have um a couple things that kind of just seem to mesh together and <laughs> you know confuse me so <laughs> but yeah so that's kind of um my uh, personal experiences with disabilities. Um, yeah. Aaron, what think, about, oh. I think it, Oh, really quickly to say, it's good maybe here to note um, that that's um, actually quite common that if somebody's got something going on, um, that they might have other disabilities associated mm-hmm. with it too. And again, talk more about that in another episode. Yeah. <laughs> comorbidities is mm-hmm. um, a common term though, that people will use. Um, if you've got comorbidities, it's um, many disabilities occurring at the same time together. And so it's not unheard of. Um, actually quite common. So, yeah, and, and Aaron. Yeah, so, uh, so moving on, uh, I'm going to go through the same thing. So I also have um, several kind of hidden abilities. Uh, and uh, the first one is, so I, I will say just an interesting side note here. Um, I found it interesting to read about how disabilities are defined by certain things like the Americans with Disabilities Act Mm -hmm. because I mean there's kind of more of what you can maybe call like the scholarly perspective or you know even like kind of the social movement perspective of what is a disability and then there's what does and doesn't count in terms of funding and services yes so that's that's a whole I I dove way into that in researching for this and um the reason I say that is because the first thing uh, is not actually classified as a disability anywhere um, formally or legally, but I think it kind of could be in certain ways. But uh, So it's a, an eye uh, disease called blepharitis. So I have one that's hard to pronounce, too. <laughs> um, and, but you um, nailed it. You did great. I've had years of practice because people always are confused when I say the name. Um, uh, so what it is is it's where... Um, on your eye, uh, around around your eyelids, everyone has these little oil glands, and uh, they release the oil that uh, mixes with your tears to prevent them from evaporating. And with blepharitis, what happens is that the oil glands uh, get clogged for whatever reason. Uh, there's multiple reasons why that can happen for people. And um, so when they get clogged, the oil can't uh, get out of your eyelids and uh, into your eyes. And it doesn't mix with your tears, which means that your tears evaporate too quickly. 
And when that happens, then you get uh, dry eyes really easily and uh, eye infections really easily. Mm. And uh, when I was a teenager, before we really understood what was going on or what to do about it, uh, I was getting eye infections about once a month or every other month. And um, and when I say eye infections, uh, you know, what I mean by that is that I would be locked away in my room for an entire weekend with stinging pain and couldn't open my eyes, couldn't look at anything. Um, just really awful. And, um, I, you know, I, I just remember, you know, having a lot of like shame and embarrassment in my teenage years about having red eyes. Cause I mean, there's a lot of, you know, jokes that go along with that. And ju- judgment around <laughs> judgment, what people think is what going people on. Think is going on yeah. when you have red eyes. So, um, uh, yeah, so uh, in any case, my journey with that, I guess, is that um, over the years, I, I learned what it was, and I have learned better how to manage it, um, where now um, I I haven't had a really severe eye infection for probably a year and a half or two years now, and um, and that's a really long time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have a low-level eye infection, where, and I, I'm working with my doctor on this one, but my left eye is totally fine. And my right eye has been low-level infected for, I think, my whole life. I actually mm. don't know of it ever not being infected. And, um, you know, and it's it's hard to notice because it's so subtle. But, um, you know, when it's late at night, uh, my left eye will be completely white still. And my right eye will start to get more and more red. And then I do my twice a day, uh, you know, washcloth with the heat and do, like, an eyelid massage. And then the next morning, it's good enough that no one will notice. Mm. And that's just my routine every day, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's blepharitis. Um, so then for uh, the next one, uh, and to kind of uh, off of what Mattia was saying, I also uh, believe that I have anxiety. It's not formally diagnosed by a doctor, but it is therapist. And, um, you know, for me, I think that uh, it's, it's been an interesting journey for me because knowing what I know now, I think that I have always had anxiety my entire life. Um, but I think that for a lot of reasons, people in general are kind of taught to believe that they don't have anxiety. But I think also men in particular, it's yeah. not really talked about or much less discussed. for men. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so I think, um, you know, and it's funny to think about this now, but I mean, years ago, I remember thinking like everyone should have a therapist, but I didn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just kind of <laughs> discluded myself from that for some reason. And um but uh, the pandemic is really what kind of put me over the edge with this. You know, what had been a low level enough of anxiety that I could kind of look past it increased enough that it was completely unavoidable <laughs> at a certain point where I couldn't turn away anymore. I couldn't uh, look the other way. There well. you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another great example. Right there. Um, and um, so I think it's been about a year now, maybe a little less, but um, I did finally get a therapist and um, did not recommend so wonderful and um i also and i i don't love that i had to do this but i stopped drinking caffeine <laughs> and yeah. for those who know me that was like a part of my personality before mm-hmm. <laughs> so um you know but it was just too much i mean i just it was you know again before i could kind of ignore it but the anxiety was like right there in my chest all the time you know and anyway we'll talk more about anxiety in our next episode yes. so i'll kind of leave it there for today uh, but as kind of related again, I, this kind of fits maybe the comorbidities or co mm-hmm. uh, uh, type thing. But uh, I also uh, experience uh, CPTSD, so that's complex post traumatic stress disorder. And um, 
uh, I'm not going to get into the specific reasons for this, and um, there's multiple reasons actually. Um, but um, the the thing that's important here, I think, is the complex part is that it's not related to one specific event, but related to many events, many over time. events that occur over time. Um, and um, again, I, to kind of just briefly, again, I'm not going to get way into it, but um, part of it for me does relate to bullied in school. Um, that is a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will say I also um, have just PTSD as well. I'm related to a specific incident from a few years ago that I'm not going to get into right now. I, I may someday. And um, those are not formal diagnosis the diagnoses <laughs> as well. Uh, but are again things that have kind of been informally diagnosed with my therapist involved, and um, so, and just to kind of briefly talk about that, um, again, those are newer um things that I have been learning about uh, about myself and in general, um, but the ways that they impact, I mean, complex is a great word for it because it is very complex. The ways that um these situations can affect you for the long term and, and, and how you react to them it's different for things. everybody yeah and um you know it's not just you know something specific like that event those events they impact how i respond to everything in my life now um mm-hmm. in a really profound way and again therapy is great i highly recommend it um and we will um also very likely have a whole episode about this topic so i'll leave that one there for today as well um, and then the last one that I'm going to talk about is uh, what is formally called, formally called, substance, uh, substance use disorder. And uh, this is one where um, that's the kind of formal medical name. And um, people might know it um, in more everyday terms as like addiction, alcoholism, and that sort of thing. And um, I will say this is one that um, I was surprised to find out is actually legally considered a disability mm-hmm. um, under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, but it, for whatever reason, it wasn't included when they first passed the law, and they went back 10 years later and added it in with a separate law, for whatever reason. Um, we'll do a, we'll yeah. talk about that someday, and I'll, I'll figure out the full story uh-huh. on that one. But uh, So um, again, uh, we will talk more about this later, and I'm not going to go into the full story, but um, the key takeaways here is that, uh, you know, from the, uh, you know, a fairly young age, um, I figured out fairly quickly that I don't drink alcohol like other people do. And, um, you know, there's just this thing that occurs in some people where when you take a drink, you don't know how much you're going to drink after that. And you don't really have control over it. And um, it's one of those very kind of uh, complex things, if you will. It's kind of hard to understand for people who don't experience it. And I know yeah. we, um, I'm pointing it, and um, yeah. I've talked about this a lot because, I mean, we have very opposite experiences growing up. I mean, growing up in the same house, same life, you know, our yeah. household growing up, where, I mean, and we'll like have a half, a half glass of wine. That's really hard to say. Yeah. A half <laughs> glass of wine and not know finish it or yeah i i don't experience substance use disorder or alcoholism and and my mom doesn't either and so she and i have talked about this and trying to understand my Mm. brain i i am supportive and i sympathize but my brain doesn't just doesn't experience it the same way it's like not it's i feel like for both of us we can't really comprehend the other other side side of it which is okay yeah um (laughs) i i um i can choose like ahead of time like i'm just gonna have like one half glass of something tonight if i want to and and i'll stick to that 
And um, I, I think one of the tricky things too is that w- with the age that we all started drinking, it's like around the time most everyone in like yeah. America would start drinking. <laughs> yeah. Around the drinking age. And um, and so a lot of young people uh, go pretty hard at first mm-hmm. and like they're experimenting with it. And so we didn't for a little while didn't think anything of it because we were all we, we were other all friends young who drink and... somewhat similarly to how I did. And I think this is where people have a hard time with understanding this is that young people, and I mean, old people can do this too. Don't. <laughs> typically in our society it's younger people who, you know do a lot of the drinking um they can drink in ways that look very alcoholic but but they're are choosing actually to do not it. yes and then when they reach a certain age they will just choose not they kind of slowly move out of it and so yeah and that's the difference is that you know i never chose to have however much it was that i drank each night i you know the first few times of course i did because all my friends were doing doing but there were nights where i would tell myself like okay tonight i'm going to only have drinks for two shops or whatever it happened to be and i wholeheartedly meant it <laughs> and then would wake up the next day having had i don't know how much um, yeah and and kind of the um you know the 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 complex thing about it or the you know confusing thing about it then is that um you know the rational person who does not have substance abuse disorder substance use disorder would you know, wake up after a night like that, because that can happen to people that aren't alcoholics, mm-hmm. but um, would wake up the next day and, you know, think like, wow, I'm not, I'm not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would wake up the next day and think, I'm not going to do that again. But then the very next day, I would then tell myself the same thing that, well, tonight I'm going to have, and then I'm going to stop. And I would wholeheartedly believe that today was different mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. this time I could actually do that. And then the same thing would happen again. And the next day, I would then tell myself that lie again that I could. And know, that day, it. that day it's just true. never came. And comes. that day just never came. And um, so, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, we will get way more into that topic at some point. Um, but I think it's important to point out here that um, I have been sober for almost yeah. 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do certain things now to stay sober. Um, lots of things to stay sober. And um, so, uh, yeah, for me, at least, I have learned that um, for me to stay sober, I need not have alcohol at all so i don't <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh so uh that is my kind of story um From, yeah so um i will pass it off to them yes okay so my experience with disability um i've had generalized anxiety disorder for many 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 <laughs> years <laughs> a very long time um been diagnosed i have a formal diagnosis for it and have for a long time as well and i think i probably i was probably born with it i don't know <laughs> Uh, just from the time I was very young was, um, extremely uncomfortable in just about every setting you could imagine. Um, like we talked about earlier, um, I was not comfortable speaking as a young child and a lot of people thought I was mute, um, probably, um, up until maybe third, second, third, fourth grade. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, in certain, um, certain like scenarios, like I, um, I think back, like, uh, I think it would have been third grade. I was taking a test. Do you remember those little divider folder, folder things we used (laughs) to use in school? So like you'd have like your own little space Mm -hmm. and no one could like cheat or see what you were doing on your exam. I want one of those now. (laughs) I know (laughs) for work. (laughs) So I had, I had my little divider thing up and I'm like, I'm taking my test and I, I needed to use the restroom. I needed to pee. And um, I was so um, overwhelmed with the idea of having to raise my hand to tell my teacher because then people would like notice me or even just like me raising my hand that brings attention to me. And so I put that off until I almost could not handle it any longer. And I think 
thankfully had a very wonderful and supportive teacher who like picked up on that I was like and needed to go to the restroom <laughs> and she came over and like sat and talked with me for a minute and helped me and then afterwards talked to me about it and like told me like it's always okay and it's it's funny I'm like I'm learning more about this now as an adult but um there are like two uh two like brains almost I feel like inside of my head there's like logical brain that like yeah of course I know that's fine that I can raise my hand and ask for help but anxiety brain doesn't let me do it it's like it's like it's like keeping me from doing the things and so I have logical brain is well aware (laughs) it knows everything and like it, it makes sense of it and I can understand like I can read about it and I can get it but like there is some sort of block with anxiety brain that just like it doesn't let me do certain things And as I've gotten older, like my anxiety has transitioned from what used to be more of like a social anxiety. Um, I, speaking of like exposure therapy, so I, um, the summer camp that talk about exposure (laughs) and and doing the program position, like Mm -hmm. I'm up in front of like, you know, 50, 70 people, whatever (laughs) it is. And like, I, I have no choice. Yeah. All day long. I have to be like, we're doing activities over this way. And like, (laughs) everyone come look at this fun activity going on over here. And so. I mean, that that was the perfect setting for me because everyone that was there was supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. And so that was the perfect setting for me to like kind of work on that. And then eventually a little bit, um, a couple of years later, um, I joined the cheerleading team and like felt comfortable enough to get to where like I'm in front of the crowd and like, you know, making mistakes in front of like my high school peers, like who wants to be doing that, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I kind of worked away from it being a social anxiety. The thoughts are still there. I'm still like, I get anxious. I'm still, I'm terrified of like messing up or making a mistake. But I'm I'm now capable of doing it. I can get up on a stage and I'm like, as as you get older too, I think you like you kind of move into like your own body and like feel comfortable with who you are as a person. And I'm like, I'm much more there of like if if like somebody needs me to like get up on stage and like do a thing now, like I can do that. Doesn't mean the anxiety is gone or doesn't exist. Um, it's transitioned more into um, I will like I'll let's say I get like an email from my boss that says, like, hey, can we chat tomorrow for 10 minutes? And they don't give me context. I don't. I'm not going to sleep that night <laughs> because I'm probably going to be fired tomorrow, right? <laughs> and I've done nothing wrong. But my brain just can't. Um, it just kind of like it chooses the worst case scenario often. Um, uh, kind of a subset of that. Something else I have a diagnosis for is um, a phobia disorder. There is a certain small little animal that I have a phobia about, and it stems back to. So this is um, a one a one off situation thing where I had one really extreme um like uh, overwhelming event happen related to this animal and I am now fearful of it and this is like this animal cannot attack it has no teeth (laughs) no claws like it's the least violent animal it moves fairly slow oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so logical brain again logical brain knows that there is nothing to be fearful of I was actually telling Mattia about this was about two weeks ago um my husband and I had to go pick up we have a like one of those giant like ladders you used to get on top of your roof and we uh, had left it over at my parents house we went to go pick it up and uh, we put it into my car and I was going to drive it back and so it was uh we put the passenger seat down so it's like like right up into the front seat the ladder is like sitting next to me right and um about two minutes into the drive home which the drive home was probably only it's about 10 minutes away maybe about two minutes into it I just like was absolutely certain it was dark out I was absolutely certain one of those animals was like hiding inside the ladder 
I don't even know if it was true. I have like I can visually see images where like the creature is like looking at me. And I know that didn't happen in real life. Mm. <laughs> but I I um I just had like this extreme um panic attack about that event. Um it's like it's amazing that I made it home and didn't crash my car and then <laughs> When I parked the car in the driveway, I just had to like take off like I like ripped off like my jacket and my <laughs> jeans and I was like, no, like I got to go take a shower. Like I just I can't mm-hmm. be it. Like I have to reset myself. And then my husband later, he's like helping with the ladder. And he's like, yeah, like I checked it like I promised like there, it, there were none in the car. Like you're fine. I found one. There was totally one in the ladder. Like, I know, I know, <laughs> I know when it's there. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, I get better with that but like exposure therapy for that might not be the worst i've not gotten to a place where i'm ready to do that just yet i just don't want to Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i should um i get a little bit older and so let's say i'm in my like teens like early teens i guess it was um when the uh next thing kind of pops up for me so i experienced um some traumatic events uh throughout uh, i was about like a three-year period and then um a couple years later um was formally diagnosed with complex PTSD as well for different reasons and so mine is gonna um it's gonna display very differently than how Aaron's does um because the events were very different completely different kinds of things I think with PTSD a lot of times people think of like um uh, people in the military who've been to war um which is that is a form of um, many people who have experienced that do have complex PTSD um but there are other types of things that can um result in you having a diagnosis for that as well and again i might talk about that if we do an episode on ptsd down the road won't get into it right now um and so i think kind of the uh, oh i guess you were kind of talking about overeating too another mm-hmm. one that um is relevant for me um that i don't actually have a formal diagnosis for this but like i medically would have qualified i guess maybe as i'll say it at one point but for anorexia and um, it's gotten better um, over the years. And so this is where I think things start kind of like meshing together. I think the anorexia is a result of the event that happened that I have PTSD from. Um, but just uh, was told um, in several different instances that like I didn't look the way that I needed to or needed to do something different to look a different way. And I, um, I still like think about that. I've gotten... I'm at a healthy weight now, but I like, I think about that when I buy food at the store, like I like, I'll catch myself and I'll like, I want to grab the thing that's got less calories even still. And this is like, I mean, we're like 10 years out and I've had, I've had like dips and dives with it where like, I'll kind of like, I'll start losing weight again and like, I'll catch myself and like, we cannot go there. Like we can't do this again. Um, but I, I was hospitalized one time for that. Um, I think I was, I've been 18 or 19. Something like that. Yeah. Around there. I, um, passed out um one time though when i was living still living at my parents house and not fun um but i'm doing better as far as that goes um and then so uh again of invi- uh, the kind of it's like the dictionary word of the day i think is um the invisible <laughs> disabilities um those are those are all hidden or invisible disabilities for me if you like if you meet me you've never met me before and we just like meet on the street um you wouldn't be able to see that i have anxiety or a phobia of this creature maybe unless you happen to bring one of those with you (laughs) which has never happened (laughs) you can't see on me that i have ptsd um so um 
the kind of what's a new thing for me is that um let's see now it's been almost two years I think since my symptoms started I have very recently been diagnosed with a physical disability and it is like a whole different kind of experience so um I would have been like around the summer maybe of 2020 I think early COVID I think so yes that's, to remember. <laughs> that's how we uh that's how we tell <laughs> time tell these time. days <laughs> Yeah, I um I started um just noticing I was having like these like kind of like uh, really um like rigid um tremor kind of things. Uh, when I say tremors, I don't mean like Parkinson's. It's more like um spasms, spasm, more like cerebral palsy is how mm. physically just in my arm. And I've had lots of sports injuries over the years, and so I was like, you know, like it's probably like the result of like an in an old injury or like maybe I like I'll just go see a doctor at some point. It'll be fine. I didn't think very much of it until I started getting um, the same uh, physically looked exactly the same tremors uh, on the same side of my body in my leg. And that really scared me when I started noticing that was happening. I was like, that seems like it could be a brain tumor or something. If it's all happening on one side mm -hmm. of the body, it's really common that it could be something on your opposite side of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, that like now I got to go, I got to go get tested for this. And so I had like CAT scans, MRIs, ultrasounds, blood work, all kinds of tests done. They were not finding anything like absolutely everything is coming back. Like you're extremely healthy. Which, um, for anyone who's not been through a diagnosing process like that is probably like, well, that sounds great. Like you're super healthy. And just every test that came back that was like, everything is good. I was like, then what is it? Like, yeah. what is wrong? Well, and also to, uh, how much money did that all cost? Oh, too much money. I know. Yeah. yeah and every time, yeah. Every time like a cat scan, those are not cheap MRIs. Like you get it back mm -hmm. and they're like, everything's great. And I'm like, oh, cool. Just spent a lot of money to to hear that <laughs> to I'm doing hear great. Nothing, yeah. <laughs> cool. So yeah, I um I went through testing for a little over a year, um, which is if I'm sure many people have been through this process either themselves or like with their children or other family members. That is not a fun process to have to be going to like doctor's appointments, getting like your blood drawn constantly and people like poking, getting referred to like this doctor and like, well, we don't think it's this. How about this? And like everyone's just like sending you on to the next person nothing quite lines up with insurance it's all very enjoyable <laughs> and then finally it was uh, I think it was just a little maybe a year and a couple months into it um, I finally found out I have something called early onset isolated dystonia and so what that long thing means um, so dystonia like dystonic movements can also like that is used to describe like types of movements that people have for other movement disorders like Huntington's disease or like cerebral palsy like I'd said earlier um, what it means is I have um, like uh, a part of my brain just doesn't speak to my arm and my leg correctly anymore and I have these like jerky movements that just happen and I'm not telling my arm or my leg to do those things and so I like I can't carry like anything in my uh in my right hand anymore um I'm at risk of dropping things and like driving a car is a little bit um a little wonky because that's like your, that's your driving foot and so I've like currently found some ways to accommodate that for myself um but the the thing we don't know um this is a progressive disorder and so it is going to get worse supposedly um the doctors don't know how much worse though and or like the timeline quite i've heard like well, a, across about five years and doesn't it depend on the person too how mm -hmm. far it progresses 
It does. Yeah. And it's different for everybody. And so like family history can kind of have something to do with that. But this is kind of the first my family is learning of this. I do. I have some relatives that have this, but I don't know that we all knew that. Yeah. Because they were told that they had other things, right? Yeah. This is commonly misdiagnosed as like multiple sclerosis. Um, I Sometimes it is misdiagnosed with uh, cerebral palsy for those who have more um, extreme versions of it. Um, and the, the reason it took them so long to figure out what it is, I think, um, it's, uh, it's most common that symptoms start um, between the age, I think it's like between 9 and 15 years of age. Mm-hmm. And so I'm getting it quite a bit later in life, which is really rare. Not only is it rare that it's starting later in life, but this disability in general is really rare. There are only about 6,000 people in the United States that have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's uh, people um, typically who come from backgrounds who are um, Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, <laughs> which... Fun side note, um, my parents uh, both did the 23andMe genetic testing thing mm-hmm. for my senior project in school. And um, we uh, found out that my mom has 2 or 3% Ashkenazi Jewish yes. on her side. Right. And so um, we are still going through the testing process. I don't know that my mom has it officially yet, but I would assume so just based on genetics. And Aaron's already, Aaron's now been tested for it yeah. since I tested positive and he doesn't have yeah. it, which is good news. Um, but it just, it complicates things. Um, I don't have children yet, um, but would like to. And so now we're looking at, um, in vitro fertilization and how that comes into and, play uh, with insurance. that really amazing technology you should talk about. Um, <laughs> I can't think of, what is it called? Um, I don't even remember. I can't quite remember. Um, oh, it's uh, not, uh, CRISPR. Is it CRISPR? Okay. It is yeah. CRISPR. Um, yeah. uh, uh, we'll maybe save that for an upcoming episode because yeah. <laughs> we could talk a lot about that. It's very cool. But there's this new technology where they're going into your genes and um, they can actually um, like change or manipulate them. And so it's, it's possible that they could completely get rid of this. For me, I don't think it's going to But more happen. so for a child though, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, I, well, I mean, point. oh, I got that's what you're so yeah. You, technology down the road, I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, so yeah. CRISPR <laughs> potentially could get rid of it. Like I, they could get rid of it yeah. in somebody who's already like been born and has lived some and and yeah. has it like me. But uh, with the in vitro, um, the idea would be um, uh, they would confirm that the baby doesn't have it before implanting it. Um, so I would be able to have children and know that I'm not going to pass it on to them, which is why mm. we want to go that route. So. But yeah, um, it's a complicated system to try and maneuver um, doctor's visits and hospitals and, and then insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Not the most enjoyable thing, but that's kind of my recap um, of what I personally experienced. And so it's been like a long, um, many years for me with hidden disabilities and very recently now something physical. And it's, it's uh, different. It's just very different. And we'll talk about that more in a future episode. I feel like I've said that many times. We've got yeah. lots to talk about, everyone. <laughs> so yeah. tune back in. <laughs> and, um, to recap a little bit, uh, so we do intend to go over uh, a lot of the things we've discussed today in future episodes, mm-hmm. um, like anxiety, for example. And um, one of our intentions uh, that we do want to put out there is that we would like to have guests for any topic that yes. relates to something that we don't personally experience ourselves. So we can have somebody speak directly to it. Um, so for our first few episodes, we're going to be talking about things specific to us, just since we are getting started and don't have a million guests lined up right yes. away. So, uh, you know, we are going to dive in more on these topics fairly soon and then expand out from there. Yes. Yeah. And so next episode will be anxiety. That'll be coming out soon. Uh, 
Um, but otherwise, I think that pretty well sums up our introduction, uh, just getting to know us, who we are. Anything else you guys want to add to episode one? <laughs> I think we covered everything I wanted yeah, to. We yeah, covered a lot. Yes, we did. <laughs> we, did. <laughs> we did. And yes, I think the last thing I'll say is thank you for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed everything we had to say today. And we will see you next time. Thank you, thank everybody. You. Looking the Other Way is created and produced by your hosts, M, Aaron, and Mattia. You can find us on Apple Podcast or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you can find behind-the-scenes content and other fun tidbits we find along the way. Looking the Other Way is part of a bigger conversation, so let us know what you like and don't like at lookingtheotherwaypodcast at gmail.com. We value your feedback and look forward to hearing from you.